Thanks for tuning in, guys. You're listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg Driver. I'm joined by Rahul Johnny and Leon Everett. Let's go! Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it may be where you're listening. Welcome to Ace Comicals number 68. And uh, I am joined by both of my co-hosts this week. I have Ray. Hello, people. And Leon. Hey, guys. And I think we should open in with the Eisner Awards, shouldn't we? I think that's what we should do. So we should talk about the fact that the Eisner's happened at SDCC this year. That's San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah, that was the weekend of the 18th and 21st of July, wasn't it? And, um, yeah, I'm really not surprised at some of the things here that won. A lot of them, actually, I actually have in, in my long boxes. So that makes me feel good. Uh, <laughs> Tastemaker. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So um, best short story was The Talk of the Saints, which was Tom King and Jason Fabuk. And that was in the Swamp Thing Winter Special, which I remember being really hyped for. Um, and it is a really good story. Uh, best single issue one shot was uh, Chip Zdarsky and the Spectacular Spider-Man 310, mm-hmm. which is a fantastic little issue. It's like really, really heartfelt and like really gets to the heart of like what it means to be the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, I think, which I really liked. Um, no surprises that best limited series went to Mr. Miracle. Are you surprised about that? Because <laughs> I'm fucking not. Any picks for you guys? Uh, best continuing series, Giant Days, which I've been standing since day one, I think. Um, yeah. And then also best um, best cover artist, I believe, was Jen Bartel. I'm trying to find it on the Yeah, Jen now. Bartel. Yeah, for Blackbird and Submerged. Um, and I think I remember going on about how much I loved the cover for Submerged at the time. So, yeah, those are my tastemaker picks. Cool. Anything there for you, Leon? Uh, yeah, like uh, going back over some of the other ones, it's nice to see Tom King do the back-to-back, uh, Mitch Gerrard, uh doing the back-to-back, Mr. Miracle, doing the back-to-back. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Rahul said, Jen Bartel, I love everything she does. Uh, I'm really happy to see uh, Matt Wilson get best colouring. Uh, he's, uh, like, one of the best right now, so it's, it's nice to see uh, him be acknowledged. Um, another thing that was really nice, um, panel by panel, uh, by uh, edited by Hassan Osmani. Uh, I always mess up the... the, the <laughs> Uh, his um, second name oh yeah panel x panel yeah but yeah best comics Mm -hmm. related periodical uh, it was a tie between them and back issue which other good things about as well yeah i mean like yeah panel x panel got nominated before and now it's actually like picked up that well-deserved eisner i think because panel x panel is great i have actually bought a few of them but you know um, what changed in between uh, this year and last year? What I submitted uh, something. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Greg and the Ace Comicals touch. Just like feature us, you're going to win a knife. Now. Just saying. <laughs> it was one paragraph about Ice Cream Man, and it just. But you know, do we have it, any evidence to the contrary? No. Yeah, it made all the difference. That one paragraph for the entire year. Yeah, my uh, <laughs> my gibberish. <laughs> about ice cream man. But, hey you're yeah. the tastemaker no, some, somehow I do not think that is the reason that one of ours <laughs> but there we go um, yeah under best colouring Matt Wilson like Black Cloud um, I've got a few issues of that in my long boxes as well that was pretty cool I remember mm. um, 
Paper Girls as well. Yeah, Mitch. Spectacular colouring in that book. Mitch Jarrods and Tom King like cleaned up. Mm-hmm. Like completely cleaned up. Yeah, because the Vision uh, hardcover yeah. won Best Graphic Album reprint, so King and Hernandez yeah. Walter and Walsh winning. It's mad that Tom King got nominated for Batman because it was Best Writer for Batman, Mr. Miracle, Heroes in Crisis and Swamp Thing, Winter Special. But, like, it's mad that he got nominated for Batman when he's getting pulled off Batman. <laughs> it's like... But, but it's about, like, the time that it covers, doesn't it? Yeah. Because it's not a uh, calendar... But, but like you know I, I i will continue to say this i have this argument like once a week like um i get told that batman you know has dropped in sales and it was outselling spider-man but now it's not and it's like this is it my lcs and and you know I, I batman has really dropped off in sales and i'm like but why because tom king's batman run is absolutely fantastic and there is absolutely no reason why it should be dropping off in sales. And I don't understand what people don't like about it. I don't get it. And like, it's great. It's, it's a really great examination of Batman. And, and mm. like Tom King does this really cool thing with broken characters. That well, I this like. is what happens a lot um, where uh, like critics and say the industry um, o- often can sometimes have, I mean, all of them are small pools that you're talking about anyway. But like, can it sometimes have a, a di- diversion sort of wave of taste? If you look mm. at the Oscars every year, uh, most of the biggest contenders are some of the um, s- smaller box office movies of the year. Uh, same with like the uh, the Emmys. Um, a lot of the top shows are, are things that come on uh, premium cable, which is like one to two million people watching uh, each week. Mm. So yeah, I think you can have a bit of a a disconnect there. But also yeah. I think that um, and I'd even count myself as one of these people. Um, I think a lot of things get discovered after their time. Um, I know it's just, it's just such a shame because it's going to result in his run ending prematurely. But it, his run lives on in a different way, doesn't it? I guess. Yeah. But still, you'll have man. to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> still, but you yeah, can beat no. your chest and say you're right. Yep. <laughs> I'm right. <laughs> Listen to me. Please. <laughs> I need listeners. No, um, yeah, it's it, it's just mental and I I will just never be able to wrap I mean, I know I know what you're saying, Liam, and I fully understand what you're saying, but I'll just never be able to wrap my head around it because it is really it is a really, really good run and he really does get under the skin of Batman and under like the cowl, if you will, and actually in a way that no, in a way that other writers haven't with Batman, because I mean, lots of writers do these they they do these examinations of Batman's psyche and whatever, but no one has done it like Tom King has done it through his run uh, on Batman, and yeah, it's impressive, <laughs> and more people need to recognise that. <laughs> but yeah, well, he's got an Eisner. But yeah, you multiple. <laughs> Why put it back on your pull list? Save, save the Tom King run. <laughs> this might be a blessing in disguise because you Maybe. don't know yeah. the, the the following run. Is it Batman and Catwoman? It's called. Um, he's gonna get yeah. He's gonna get to do the Batman Catwoman thing. Yeah, that might end up being like mind blowing. 
and being freed of the shackles of being the main Batman book might get to push some things and go further um, into his story than maybe he would have been allowed um, having been tied to the main book. So could be a blessing in disguise. Yeah, so it will be Batman Catwoman number one, yeah. Uh, beginning in January 20... I'm looking at the DC website now. So beginning in January 2020, DC's ongoing Batman comic book, currently shipping twice monthly, will return to a monthly schedule, allowing DC to incorporate the monthly Batman title into the larger DC universe in continuity. Batman will ship alongside a new 12-issue Batman Catwoman series by Tom King and Clay Mann, while Bat Family titles, Deck Comics, Catwoman, Nightwing, Batgirl, others, will continue into 2020 with no immediate changes to their shipping schedules. So there we go. And City of Bane, which started with Batman 75, July uh, 17th, is going to be like, I think, the final arc. It will run 11 issues and that will conclude in December 2019 with uh, Batman 85 and that will be the final arc and it's sad. Probably get him nominated again. (laughs) I'm sad. (laughs) I've got a a final shout out for me for the Eisners. It's a, it's a book that I haven't read yet. Um, but uh, best adaptation from another medium, yeah. uh, Frankenstein, uh, that is part of the uh, Junji Ito uh, story collection, um, that one. So um, I'm always, as I mentioned on the cast many times, a big fan of uh, Ito's work and I'm looking forward to giving a read. Yeah, man. Um, so like the other big news that came out of SDCC was the MCU Phase 4 announcements. There was an like basically there was a, an announcement for a bunch of movie titles and a bunch of TV series that we're going to be getting as part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Phase Four of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, and it starts with Black Widow getting a solo movie in 2020, which I think is going to be kind of cool. And isn't this going to explain like, I mean, this is like a long time coming as well because this is something that should have happened like forever ago, but. Isn't this something that's going to explain, like, the Budapest thing? The thing is, we don't know 100% for certain, but you know they're going to do that. Though the movie is not a true, true, true prequel, because it's set after Civil War. But you know there's going to be flashbacks and all types of things. Because some of it is filmed in Budapest. Yeah. I mean, we know they're going to do it, but I don't think think that's the the basis of the movie. Hmm. Yes. I think it's going to be Scarlett Johansson versus Florence Pugh and all types of government shenanigans. David Harbour's in it as well. <laughs> yeah, it's got it's got a pretty decent cast and mm. a good director as well with uh, Kate Shortland. Uh, and this is the thing that part of this announcement is things that we knew, but them confirming it. And then some stuff was like wholly first announced stuff. So yeah. it, it was nice to get some concrete information on this movie that they were semi-pretending wasn't happening and taskmasters taskmaster's gonna be in there as well yeah the main foe i think think the main foe yeah will be taskmaster which would be cool because taskmaster is basically like all of the avengers rolled into one have you i mean ray you would have experienced taskmaster um when you played the spider-man ps4 game i think that's my only exposure to taskmaster i'm not really sure what else what what his general stick is apart from that he basically just learns everyone else's fighting styles and abilities. And he was good in uh, yeah. Marvel vs. Capcom 3. Yeah. I remember. <laughs> he has everyone else's gimmick. That's his thing. <laughs> right. Okay. He learns, he, he can study and he can learn 
everyone else's fighting abilities and then he uses that to beat people at their own game basically and uh, other marvel phase four stuff um you got thor love and thunder which looks amazing or sounds amazing uh doctor strange the multiverse of madness shang chi and the legend of the ten rings yeah doctor uh, strange is the one that caught my eye because apparently they're going to dive more into like uh, like modern day horror with mysticism and that mm. sounds really cool yeah um the eternals is one that caught my eye that sounds pretty awesome because that's digging deep into some like weird marvel stuff <laughs> yeah this now i'd say previously it was guardians i think that this now is the biggest risk yeah that marvel had taken so i'm really interested to see what happens yeah so it's gonna be having the eternals the deviants the humans and the celestials so this is like this is marvel universe ancient history because this happens like on the marvel timeline the eternals begins a long time ago like an eternity ago isn't this what so this Jack- came yeah so this this come before he went to dc I think that's what it is, yeah. And then when he went to DC, he just like went wacky completely, made the <laughs> new gods. Uh, we're talking about Jack Kirby, by the way. <laughs> um, I'm just going to find out now. Um, I'm pretty sure it came before he went to DC. Um, yeah, I would just um, going to fact check myself. Yeah, created by Jack Kirby. Their first appearance in the Eternals, Jul- uh, one July 1976. So no, this was. Um, this would have been when he after. came back. Yeah, when he came back. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Kirby I, left I Marvel thought, Comics but... to work at DC, where he began the saga of the New Gods. Yes, yeah, so it's after. I didn't want to be wrong in front of the the comics guru. Yeah, it's after. It's after. <laughs> I was wrong. I thought it was before, but it's after. <laughs> but that, that, it's going to be it's going to be interesting because it, it as me like I'm not I've got like I don't know an intermediate uh, comic book knowledge of the big two. Um, where I'd say you have like an expert knowledge of them, but even for me, I don't know if I use that word. That's a strong yeah, word. <laughs> I've never read uh, a single page of an Eternals comic. Yeah, so, it's, yeah, it's interesting yeah. stuff. It's Jack Kirby at his finest. Um, so it's exciting. It's got a really good cast, mm. uh, headed up by Angelina Shirley. It's got. Um, like uh, meant to be a really good director. I haven't seen The Rider yet, but that was done as one of the best movies of last year. And they, they somehow got uh, the director of that to uh, do a Marvel movie, which is uh, amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully it, it comes out really good because like, you know, a nice slice of Jack Kirby on the big screen like that would be cool. Yeah. And that was a um, uh, Chloe Zhao. It, yeah. It, they've got doing that so it's going to be interesting uh 2020 is uh both two only two marvel movies that year and both are directed by women yeah did people not say that was going to be also you know because it's like people were saying that 2020 was going to be like the lowest grossing year for marvel like like, it's not saying a lot but but i think it's but this is it's a riskier year because they're launching uh not uh big sort of uh, uh like because uh, uh, i mean one is uh on a, on a character who 
uh, like it's not going to be as bombastic uh, like lasers in the air type thing. It seems more uh, concentrated as like a espionage superhero-y action film. And then this thing is like a completely, the Eternals is a completely unknown quantity. So it's a big risky year for them. But like it's cool because they don't need uh, these movies to gross a billion. They just need to, uh, in in uh, the case of Black Widow, they just need to make a good movie. Mm. Uh, and in, in the case of this, they need to just make a good movie, but also set up uh, like a new IP, basically. So it, I think it's quite um, a refreshing year because it's, it's a year where Marvel and Disney can sort of flex because this year, all three of the movies they've made uh, have done over a billion uh, one of those movies is the highest grossing movie of all time. So I like that they they can have the freedom. Like if they're going to be our corporate overlords, they can at least do something interesting with that money. Mm, indeed. Um, and it's like Marvel uh, have preempted and beaten DC to the punch because if the Eternals is out next year, then like, I mean, what, what was the date, the slated date for New Gods? Remind me. There is none, but I can't see it coming earlier than uh, 2021. Exactly. So, like, it's like Marvel have, like, used Cerebro and <laughs> <laughs> got into DC's head. Well, that's why it's kind of brutal, because this will come out before. Yeah. Cause this yeah. is out November next year, Eternals. Yeah. But, like, uh, by the time New Gods comes out, um, it'll be like, oh, that's like Eternals, and like and New Gods came first. <laughs> yeah, they will be like thematically similar as well as stories because that's kind of what they were in the first place. Like, and you know, they kind of have that shared history of coming from the same mind and being almost embedded in the same kind of ideas, hmm. but not the yes, but not quite kind of thing. Like thematically similar, but that's as far as it goes. Um, and yeah, it's, it is going to be pretty brutal for DC because I, I think they were betting on, they were thinking, oh, look, you know, we'll do this new gods movie. We'll do something really wild and different. Um, you'd, Marvel have already done it. Like the, like the old South Park thing. Simpsons did it, you know, <laughs> but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, I think it's going to be interesting regardless. Yeah. So. Yeah. It is. I mean, I'm still interested in New Gods, mainly because, like... I'm hyped for New Gods. Tom King's on it. I mean... You yeah, know. And, and Ava DuVernay. So yeah, it's going to be that's good. A, that's, a, that's a dream team if you, if, you, if you can get one. Yeah. Um, so, I think that wraps us up for Marvel Phase 4 talk, unless anyone's got anything else they want to draw our attention to. Like, the, what about, I mean, what about the TV series, actually? Let's talk... Like, like let's just mention a couple of those, because um, you've got the Falcon and the Winter Soldier coming next year. Is that going to be on Disney Plus? Yes, all of these are Disney Plus yeah. shows. And all of these are uh, true canon in the MCU, whereas the Marvel stuff uh, was never really. What if won't be true canon? Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> the whole point of what if is that it takes but, canon but what, what and if scrunches it voiced, up. <laughs> what if is voiced by all the people who played their roles in the movies, though? Yeah. But, Which is really cool. Yeah, but it it, it it what if the whole point of what if is that it sets fire to canon? <laughs> well, no, it uses uh, like the canon that led up to the beginning of each story. It yeah. just goes its own weird way. It goes in its own branching direction. I like the. I mean, like... um, supposedly the first episode of What If will be um, to do with the super soldier serum, won't it? 
Mm. Yeah, so it'd be what if Peggy Carter had taken the super soldier serum instead of Steve Rogers? And yeah, I mean, Ray, have you got anything to add to that? Anything to add to any of that for the TV series that are coming? No, not really. I mean, I, I don't think I've paid as much attention to this as you guys have, which is why I've been a bit quiet and just listening into it. Um, I, I have no idea what any of like Eternals or any of this is. I didn't realise that What If was a cartoon. Um, so that's kind of cool. Uh, I'm just going to wait and see as it comes out, I think. Uh, I, I, have, I, I didn't know it was going to be... I didn't know it was going to be a TV series until five minutes before we hit the record button on this cast. <laughs> so <laughs> I, it's, it's, I thought it was going to be a movie. Mm. But yeah, if they're going the TV series route, then that'll be cool because they can do this kind of like Twilight zone type thing. Mm. Which will be nice. Um, And I guess that wraps us up for the kind of like newsy portion now then. So I guess we yeah, can draw oh, a We'll just add, the last thing that was really cool is that at the end they brought out Mahershal Ali uh, and then announced that he was going to be uh, Blade. So, is Blade a TV show as well? No, that's that's going to be a film, but it's not um, it's not phased at the moment. So right. we assume it's in phase five because phase right. four looks to only be two years, which is the shortest phase so far. So it'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. Also, there's no um, like Avengers movie tying this all together, which I really like. Mm. So, yeah, I, I think, I, like we said before, they're flexing a bit and it will be interesting to see what we get. I, I feel weird about the fact that they're already thinking about Phase 5. I mean, you know they've already got it. I mean, I, I, I know that, like, I'm being... I don't know, because I know, like, if I if I put my thinking man's hat on... I know that they're probably already up to phase seven with this stuff. Like they've got like a a plan that far ahead because that's what they'd have to do. Right. But like, all it's that, that whole thing where, because you know that you, you think that they're thinking that far ahead already kind of thing. And you know, it's just, I don't know. At the end of the day, uh, uh, um, I'm always a bit wary of that when they start announcing yeah, things that are so far off in the future. But that's yeah. why they've only announced what's coming up soon. Because yeah. like none, none of the sequels to the big films like Black Panther, Captain Marvel, and we haven't got dates on that. We haven't got any dates on Fantastic Four or X Men now that Fox has been bought by Disney. But we know that stuff's coming. Um, and that, come on, between those things that I just said, that's enough for two phases. Yeah. So um, yeah, uh, I, I don't think it's that bad because you got to remember back in what was it 2013 2014 they did the thing at comic-con or d23 or whatever it was where they announced movies going all the way up to 2019 mm. which we just did so um and that that was a not that, that not annoying but that was kind of like oh my god this is the outlook isn't it and i mean we got through that so yeah. i think what we've got to remember though is that at the end of the day what dictates this is yes, Disney will control, but also audiences and audiences could go the opposite direction at any time and that will shake everything up. So mm. we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, so drawing a line under the newsy portion with the SDCC stuff, I'm going to move right onto the comics and I'm going to pull the first one off my stack, which is something that I was hype about, something that I read a preview of and talked a little bit about on previous episodes. Um, and that is Batman Curse of the White Knight, which is the return of the whole Batman White Knight thing, which uh, Sean Murphy 
is the name associated with this. So uh, if I read the credits for this one, it is Batman Curse of the White Knight and it is Sean Murphy is the script, the art and the covers. And we have Matt Hollingsworth on uh, colors and cover colors uh, and world design for letters. So it's mainly Sean Murphy. It's mainly the Sean Murphy show again. Um, And yeah, it's like... As pretty, if not more pretty, as his previous work. It's it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous book to look at. Like, I enjoy his character design so much. Like, the way he does Batman. Like, giving Batman the collar on the cape. Like, reminiscent of... Um, I don't know. Like, uh, pulp hero type thing. You know, with, like, the collar. Like, that kind of, like, pulp hero old school look with the cape which like, i really like, like a gum a gumshoe type yeah yeah and like then he you've got like all the the designs for um some of the bat family like they look like racing drivers and stuff which is kind of cool like they all have that kind of aesthetic about them like um barbara for example in the batgirl get up she's got on she kind of looks she looks like a, a a racing car driver like literally like she's wearing racing leathers or something uh, which I really like. And I think, um, yeah, it's just like his design for the Joker as well. Wearing the Batman t-shirt with the suspenders. Um, like looking a little bit punk. I quite like that. And then like just, just the whole thing is just wonderful. Um, so with this one, um, it is an interesting look into the history of Gotham City. So that's what we're getting with this arc. Uh, without spoiling it too much, um, it's like goes right back to the founding of Gotham. And again, Batman and the Waynes appear to have skeletons in their closet that go sort of like way back to the beginnings of Gotham itself, which it, it, it's that for me is kind of cool because I like this, this stuff that plays with history sometimes. I quite like that. And I, I really like Sean Murphy's kind of alternative vision for Batman. I think it's a cool, a cool look for Gotham and for um he's got some really nice ideas here with what he does with some of the characters and some of the um some like well-established parts of Gotham and some things that are kind of like set in stone elsewhere in Batman comics like what he does with them is really cool it's like it's just really refreshing as usual and his vision of Gotham is just yeah it's just refreshing and it's different and it's just it's as refreshing as its predecessor, the White Knight. So Curse of the White Knight is just as good so far. So right back to the founding of Gotham. Um, this time revolving around Azrael. So there's some Azrael stuff. And what he does with Azrael in this is kind of cool. And I'm going to leave that for you guys to find out when you read this comic. Um, I don't want to talk too much about that because I, I really don't, really don't want to get into spoilers too much on this. And I'm looking at my notes and I'm trying to talk around the big glaring spoilers in my notes. And it's really difficult because I really want you guys to go out and read this and enjoy it like I've enjoyed it as an alternative look at Batman. Uh, especially you, Leon, knowing that you've read the first White Knight series. So, yeah, I mean, once yeah, again, it's just on point And it, 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 his design for Joker and the Batman and the interplay between Joker and the Batman. And, you know, with Batman being the bad guy again, almost. Like another another story where the Waynes are going to end up being 
well, from the looks of it, the Waynes are painted as the villains of the piece. Because you're saying, like, does it follow on, like, thematically as much as uh, it seems to uh, follow in in its type of uh, ideas and look? Yes, yes, it does. It, it is a it's a direct sequel to the ending of Batman: what, uh, The White Knight. Um, but it's also a difference too. So you could read this independently of the other one, um, and it it sets up stuff, or it uses stuff that happened in in the first limited series to set things up in this. But it's things that are kind of explained within the first few pages anyway. So you could read this without having read the first book and still enjoy it, but then you could mm. go back and read the first ones afterwards and enjoy this even more. Yeah. Yeah, so you can you could you could in theory read them independently of each other, but they work it works it, it is it is a direct sequel for all intents and purposes, yes Leon, to answer your question. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Um and yeah, much in much the same way that you had the Dark Knight Returns, and then the second book on from there. That um, Frank Miller did. Uh, and strikes again. Or that's strikes it. Back yeah, from... yeah. Dark Knight Strikes Back. Yeah. Um, was it Strikes Back? God, my comics knowledge is really off today. <laughs> Help me, Leon. <laughs> Was it Strikes Back? I think it was Strikes Back, wasn't it? Yeah, because you had Strikes Back and then wasn't it Strikes Back again? You had like the third, the third one. There was a third one. <laughs> I know. I know. There's like Dark Knight Three, the Master Race. Yeah, that maybe that's what I'm thinking of. That's the third I, one. I I'm think, thinking that, that they it, split the. Books are you not up, thinking yeah. like the Dark Knight Strikes Back and then Dark Knight Return of the Jedi? Is that not where you're going? Um, yeah, things that I should know that I don't know should be the theme of this podcast. But yeah, definitely, um, <laughs> we'll 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 draw a line under that. But yeah, this this is this is a really good book, and I I fully recommend it. The art is on point again. You know, like Sean Murphy does a wonderful job here. Um, like the designs for the historical um, portion of this as well. Like historical Wayne basically looks like Zorro. Ish. He has a whip and a sword. He could be a Belmont, actually. He's got an earring, a whip, and a sword. He could so be a Belmont. But yeah, I I, I really like this. And um, you'll know you'll know. Actually, I do kind of because there's there's like mention of vampires in these pages. So there's mentions of vampirism, and I do kind of equate. Like I can see like Wayne the Vampire Hunter, like. His, this this um with the whip and the sword is this very vem- vampire hunter kind of like air about him and yeah it's great it's great how many sorry how many is that uh meant to be running for do you know is it limited as well um it will be yes it will be limited awesome my favorite type exactly and uh yeah so that's uh Batman Curse of the White Knight book one and it's on DC Black Label surprising no one um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah it's really good um, and I think the previous one probably should have been like uh, I think if DC Black Label existed 
when the previous White Knight run was out, then that would have been Black Label as well. But yeah, it's um, it's definitely definitely for more mature readers for sure. But yeah, it's great. Um, and for anyone who is threatening to unsubscribe, guys, we're tired. We know it's the Dark Knight Strikes again. Leave us alone. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Oh God, yeah. No, this is this is like a this is a jumble of a podcast. I'm, I'm ready to give up comics and just pile them all into the middle of my attic and just set fire to the whole thing for the amount of mistakes I've made today. Getting Jack Kirby's co- getting Jack Kirby's career backwards, forgetting the name of Batman comics, Jesus. Um, so after Curse of the White Knight, where were we going with this? We're going to House of X, so we could make more mistakes about historical comics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's what's not complicated about the X Men? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, give me a break. Um, so yeah, um, there's a lot to unpack here with this one. Um, so this is House of X number one, which is something we have been looking forward to again in the run-up. Supposedly a new genesis for the X-Men, something that is going to set up the next decade of X-Men comics is how people have talked about it. Um, and uh, we now have it right in front of us. Or at least I do. I don't know, did you buy it digitally, Leon? Yeah, digital. Yeah, so... I have a hard copy, a solid copy, and it's quite a heavy book, actually. It's quite a hefty comic. There's a lot in here, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of text in here. It was a bargain on some... Comixology, just yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah. Considering how big it is. It's got some fancy text pages, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fancy graphic design. Like I'm so looking what at is the this? computer screen. What so the hell this, is this, Graham? This is, like, basically setting up a whole new fresh start for the X-Men. This is a hopping on point for the X-Men. And uh, the book opens, and we are on the island of Krakoa, which is a fitting place for a new genesis for the X-Men to start. Um, Because that's what happens in Giant Size X-Men in 1975. Guess what? They're on Krakoa. It's at that time Krakoa is feeding off them. Krakoa is a sentient mutant island that was created... Um, by nuclear testing in the South Pacific. Um, And in this, Krakoa is the new home for the mutants, and the mutants seem to be living harmoniously with the ecosystem on Krakoa, which functions as a kind of a hive mind. Um, And all of this is a nod to the 1975 giant X-Men, I feel, giant-size X-Men, I feel, in the fact that it's like a new genesis for the X-Men, as that was... Um, Actually, you two have read Grand Design, so you will know the events of that giant size X-Men comic because it is in the beginning of um, the second portion of Grand Design, the second two books. Mm. Um, And yeah, it's just an interesting new era for the X-Men. The cover even is a play on the giant size X-Men thing because it's them coming out of the portal from Kokoa. But if you remember the giant size X-Men cover, it's like them busting through the page. The yeah. team, and um, I, I'm seeing rather a lot of this lately. <laughs> rather a lot of this cover, with uh, you know, like uh, rather a lot of this this giant size thing going on here, like with giant size ecstatics, and then this with the giant with the cover and everything, and it's just. What are you what are you what are you doing to me, man? What are you trying to do? It's like holding a mirror up into another mirror with like. <laughs> Well, this is what happens now. But it's great. It's uh, great. Yeah. I mean, I'm not as, complaining. I'm just saying I'm seeing rather a lot of it. And it's cool. But, but I think as a millennial, you're now being catered to. 
uh, <laughs> laugh it up while you can. Yeah, so um, the story is centred around this island of Krakoa, which is a sentient mutant ecosystem that the mutants have decided to establish their own nation there with their own language and um, their own uh, almost like they, they, they like define they basically to define themselves as a separate nation. And um, it's quite cool because the, the book seems to be like a tour of Krakoa and kind of a quick introduction to uh, who's who on the island and, and whose role is what and what's happening and how it's happening and um, how like maybe there's like a little bit of a sinister undertone to it all. A little bit. <laughs> like the mutants are holding the world to ransom with their miracle drugs. And that's about as much of that as I'm going to go into. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it's kind of like, um, it's interesting in playing off the X-Men this way, because all the time we've known that the X-Men are the good guys. And we've always sympathized with the mutant cause and everything else. But this is homo superior saying that they are homo superior in this book, right? And establishing their own nation which is like scarily more advanced than the rest of the world um and it it, it seems to be like a, it's almost like a fight for survival like they're fighting for their survival um coming out of the persecution and everything else that the mutants have endured throughout the history their history in the comics and then um the humans are now going to be fighting for their survival because the mutants are coming back with a vengeance and in in you know in all honesty they are what are going to re- we you know they are going to replace humans because that's what they are they're the next step in evolution and let's Magne- just say there's a little bit of tension with- yeah let's just say there's a little bit of tension there and that the humans are starting to uh, think about making a run for it <laughs> as in like- going into space and setting shit up <laughs> Like, there's a lot of really good setup in this. So, yeah, like, it is. It is a really good setup issue, isn't it? That's what I was trying to get at. Yeah, because like full disclosure, I haven't fi- I haven't finished the issue yet. I'm like, uh, I'll say sixty percent of the way through it. Yeah, but but like, there's some really good um, statements of feelings and ideologies, but not in um, a very on the nose way. Uh, maybe mm. in some elements, but it all felt quite. Uh, natural and realistic to a degree because uh, there's a moment early on like uh, probably a fifth of the way through where uh, uh, I don't even want to say who the characters are uh, I'll say uh, Cyclops Cyclops bumps into some some heroes some other Marvel heroes uh, in New York you can guess who it wants to be or read the book there's four and... of them right four of them <laughs> Uh, and uh, one, they... one, of them, one of them's on fire. <laughs> yeah, am I right? Am I getting close? I think you're way off base. <laughs> but um, one of them asks, like, like, what's what's going on of all of all this? Uh, they're calling it the the amnesty and uh, all the different things that are being proposed uh, with the mutant setting up their world. Because it's basically Xavier telling everyone. Okay, we're a new yeah. country. This is what we've got. Uh, if you recognise us, we'll give you these awesome, awesome drugs that will extend life for five years, uh, 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 neutralise uh, a bunch of um, 
like uh, like uh, brain illnesses and mental diseases. Um, like it's all it's all very like good stuff uh, in there, um, but all of it feels like an ultimatum, like a separation, um, uh, especially with them having their own home country. It, it creates this weird sort of dynamic, uh, and even between old friends. And like, um, there's a great uh, panel where uh, I'd say uh, one of the more stormy members of, of the group are Cyclops. Um, like, what's the deal with all of this? And Cyclops just hits hits her back with this line where he's like, my family has, uh, has spent our entire lives being hunted and hated. The world has told me that I was less uh, when I knew I was more. Did you honestly think we were going to... We were going to sit around forever and just take it, and it like just sets up there where it's um, they're not asking for anything. Like uh, Magneto also says this earlier in the book uh, when he's talking to some diplomats, and it's like uh, we could take the world type thing, but all we're doing is we we just want sovereignty of this island. We just want this piece of the pie. We just want uh, you they, to recognise us as our own nation and yeah. we leave you alone. <laughs> and, like, when you uh, attack it from, from that end, it just says, like, oh, this doesn't seem, uh, this doesn't seem too bad. But then uh, it, it has so many shades of various different, like, sci-fi elements. Uh, one that comes to mind for some reason for me is the, um, the, the remake, the 2009 remake of the series V, this is an ABC show. Uh, and in the remake, I mean, the, the idea of V is that uh, aliens uh, come to Earth and uh, we don't know they're aliens, but they're actually lizards underneath their skin and they're evil. In the remake, uh, they came as benevolent people and um, the leader of the uh, group was uh, played by uh, Marina Baccarin. And, like, they offer... All these things, like they've got these medical equipments that just kills all cancers, uh, kills any disease, and they're all offering out for free. Uh, and obviously, people are like rarely suspicious, but like they show no uh, ill intentions uh, publicly. While in the background, like various weird things are happening, um, and there's there's a great line where um, uh, Marina Bracken's character is speaking to one of her lieutenants. Um, and it says like what is the purpose of why are we helping these people blah blah and she says that uh, we'll give them all this stuff so that uh, that they'll become dependent on it and just as they need it the most we'll switch it off uh, and you kind of get elements or shades of that from this book like there's definitely something sinister going on uh, with this and I'm only 60% of the way through this book yeah. but there's definitely some, some shady elements and uh, I don't like part of me would worry in if it was in different hands. Uh, what you're going to make the mutants who we, we've spoken about endlessly uh, on, on, on various different casts, and I mean everyone and, and their mum has spoken about what they stood for, what they were the metaphor, and it kind of feels like oh, what you're going to make them like the secret bad guys. But I think it's going to be a lot more complicated than that. It is, um, yeah. It is. So I um, I think I'm interested to see where it goes. <laughs> I think making Magneto putting Magneto in charge of international relations is a terrible, terrible, terrible mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Eric's not good at stuff like that. 
it's not his strong suit. He's a little bit um, opinionated and a little bit gung ho. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Charles! Uh, it, it, what, 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 uh, like, what's good about it um, is that it does feel like a really good sort of launching pad for these ideas, and mm. um, I, I'll, I'll probably keep up with this uh, limited run which is setting things up. If it's stupidly hooked me, then I'll probably read the other book, but I'm not uh, converting to when it becomes six different series, uh, uh, outrunning <laughs> series. You know me. I don't, don't have the stamina for that, but I will, I will read at least this collected run and it, I probably yeah. will read, is it yeah. Dawn, Dawn of X or, or, or Powers of X? It is Powers of X. I'll read, I'll, I, I might read Powers of X. Um, because this and Powers of X intertwine. Yeah, like a double helix. So if if if, if when I finish this, because I'll stick with this till the end, because it's only like five or six, isn't it? Mm. Uh, once I've done that, if it's hooked me enough, I'll read um, yeah. Powers, uh, and then it's leading to Dawn, and then Dawn leads to six different six different titles running. So I'm not going all that way, but I do like the setup, and it feels in a good place as a jumping on point for some of this stuff because. Um, because it's a fresh start, um, but I don't have to worry about. Oh, I'm going to be reading 200 issues of this. Uh, I, I like to like dip in when the when the tide has changed and mm. get an idea of what the new status quo is. I think I'm excited about the fact that ground floor for X Men comics again, and this time it's going to be done nicely from the looking of the look of things from the outset. It's going to be something I can actually follow because I've not been able to read X-Men. I like I like being able to go into the shop and read X-Men. I like being able to go to the shop and buy a single issue of X-Men and read X-Men. And it's been a long time since I've actually been able to do that because I've just not got on with anything that's come out. And then all of a sudden there's this and it's setting something up that seems really interesting. Um, and uh, the comic the comic itself is 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 really well put together. There's some really nice scenes in here. The artwork's gorgeous. There's some, like, um, these little uh, plain text pages that are really nicely designed, like looking at some sort of computer interface that um, kind of explain things that are happening in the comic as well. They give you kind of like yeah. bits of context and everything, which is really cool. Maps. I love maps. Yeah, maps always, are great. Always put a map in your comic. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's just so nicely put together. And, and I just... like... Such an exciting, fresh thing, I think. Yeah, like, I've seen some, not con- controversy, but I've seen some umming and ahhing, but I like the use of the classic costumes. In I do, yeah. It, yeah. There's something quite quite nice about like. I like, it I like being... seeing Marvel Girl as Marvel Girl. Yeah, like, it's been a while since uh, I've seen that, and, like, Wolverine in the, in the brown costume, it, it's, I don't know, it's... it's, it's I think uh, I, I haven't kept up with the, the books in the last couple of years, but yeah. I know they've been doing a lot of different designs and I can't, it, there's a, something quite nice about, and it feels intentional, mm. uh, like in, in the verse uh, uh, intentional that they use in these classic costumes. And I think that's going to play into whatever the reveal of the, the story uh, is. <laughs> My favorite page is the final page of the book. So I can't talk about that. Uh <laughs> Because it's just got this one, this this great line to finish the book on as well, which, damn it, can't talk about it because of spoilers, so you guys got to read it. But 
it's such a great it's such a well put together page and you know everything about it just kind of just works to um give this kind of this idea of this new dawn like throughout the book as well you're, you're getting like sunrises in the background of um of pages and things like that and it's just it's just everything is is seems to be about the dawn about a new dawn everything feels new and feels um like it's waking up for the first time and then like flowers are very big um flowers opening yeah things like that and it's just great how you know blossoming things blossoming and it's just, everything works to to give the idea of this new dawn and this new opening this new this this creation um and oh yeah one of my other favorite parts is um you have two characters um interfacing with the island talking to the island to you know like for as you kind of like um checking people out letting them on and off the island basically yeah just watching what's going on and there's this bit this one panel that just looks really really eldritch but at the same time like they're not as scared of it as they should be and it's like dude you should be like that's just that's just really really sinister it's just like this (laughs) wall with cracks in it and there's just loads of eyes lining these cracks and like the pink living flesh in between the eyes and cypher is like placing his hand on the wall and um he is comprehending what Krakoa is saying because Krakoa is speaking a, a, its own language. And um, it's just like... It feels like Krakoa is the one pulling the strings when you see that, that one panel. Like, that one panel there, it's almost like Krakoa has absorbed the mutants into its kind of hive mind ecosystem and Krakoa is the one pulling the strings. And Krakoa is intent on taking over the Earth. Who could say? <laughs> that's 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 the impression I get just from that one panel. Like that's how it feels to me. Like the sinister air that this gives off. But yeah, that is um, House of X number one. And um, list of credits for this one. We have Jonathan Hickman uh, writing. Uh, Pepe Larraz is the artist. Uh, Marta Gracia is the colour artist, uh, VCs Clayton Cowles on letters, and Tom Muller uh, on the design. And there is some gorgeous design in this book. Um, like, it just oozes quality. But then again, it's a AAA comic, so <laughs> what else are you going to expect, right? Yeah, it does book. feel like it's got all the resources that it needs. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But then again, I also got the idea like in the writing of it and in what it was setting up it felt like i was reading something image something creator owned even though i know i'm reading an x-men book which i thought was really cool like it had that it had just a just a tint of that about it and that for me um is something else that sold it 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 sold its freshness as well the fact that it it it, felt ever so slightly creator owned i don't know about you leon i don't know if you got that from it not yet but uh i'll have to check back in with you once i've um finished 
it yeah. it definitely has a different feel from other superhero comics uh, that I read, and I think I always usually get that anyway with the X Men, unless they're going out on missions, saving stuff. Because mm. I always think of that. I don't even think of the X Men as superheroes, really, um, and that's why it's always been one of my uh, favorites in the Marvel stable. Yeah, but normally the X Men. X-Men comics have this very X-Men feel about them. Like, feel very much like X-Men comics. Whereas this doesn't. This is something more. Like, for me anyway. In reference mm. to other X-Men books I've read. Um, let's move on to a another future. Or something that should be happening right now as we're speaking, actually. Blade Runner 2019. Is that the idea of this, Ray? Something that should be going on right now as we're talking? Should we be replicants? Is that what you're trying to tell us? I don't think so. I kind of just ignored the title and the fact that it's got the the year 2019 in it. I don't think it's indicative of like it being contemporary or anything. Uh, but yeah, I, did, I wanted to talk about Blade Runner 2019, which is something I think I mentioned in the pull list last time. Um, so yeah, Blade Runner 2019, uh, it's a Titan comic uh, written by Michael Green and Mike Johnson. Art by Andre Guinaldo, uh, colors by Marco Lesco, and lettering by Jim Campbell. Um, so, like the thing that caught my eye was the Art Jam cover. Art Jam is somebody I follow on Twitter who's like uh, famously good at doing. Love Art Jam. Yeah, they're fantastic covers for comics. Um, so the cover for this one is the protagonist Ash wearing like the typically noir like collared coat over like a really cool stylish shirt tie waistcoat combo stood against a murky wall bathed in red light holding a smoking gun and her silhouette doesn't quite match the frame depicting somebody familiar from the film smoking a cigarette and the city is bathed in this like blue light laid out behind her and it's just it's a gorgeous cover and there's some really good variants as far as i could tell as well there's one that caught my eye which was by sid mead which is like messier and a more uh abstracted view of like a web uh, a wet street being patrolled by some sort of futuristic armored vehicle. It's, it's very cool. Um, so yeah, this, this book, it starts off super strong, like with a in- really incredible show of graphic violence, uh, sets the mood of the story and like the sensibilities of our protagonist, which I think I'm going to say up front. I don't, I don't like Ash. I don't think we're supposed to like Ash because like where we've had decades of aloof, enterprising womanizer and Kay's lonely, pained romantic who's searching for meaning, um, Ash... Yeah, at least in this this issue, um, appears to be a sadist, uh, toying with her prey and reveling in the power dynamic between, um, you know, runner and uh, replicant. So we're introduced to her having already caught a replicant, explaining to him the value of his various parts. So his heart is worth surprisingly little, and his eyes are worth far more. Uh, it's revealed that he's killed five people, and as she puts it, actual people, and she gives them a choice to be delivered to a coroner who has a taste for dissecting things while they're alive or to end his own life. She gives him that, that torturous choice. And the comic like takes time to languish in these moments of like filmic hyper-realism and hyper-violence. So like there's in, in this instance, there's multiple panels dedicated to this act of brutality with this really interesting asymmetry where like there's four panels in a row and the beat before the violence occurs is in like sterile blue and then the following four in a row are like this garish red and each moment is caught in still without any motion lines and like what i love about this book which i was fully expecting from it it being a a film property is 
it's a book that's choosing not to animate its pages and by animate i mean like not using uh, motion lines like it's it's really effective at communicating how busy and bustling the world is and it accomplishes this accomplishes this through i guess like lots of really transient elements like in a very um blade runner movie sort of way it depicts it all through smoke and rain and papers in the wind and like the glow of screens and like this this liberal but like really pleasantly restrained use of lens flare and light bloom and all the things we've come to expect from the the film visuals and the film vocabulary and all of these are captured as still photographs with like like i said no no motion in them really it's all just snapshots of a moment and for a a moody work it's surprisingly colorful but like these i would say maybe atonal colors because they're they're sort of disparate and fragmented they come from um the advert strewn across the city which is a very uh cyberpunk thing anyway but like while the living city beneath it is casting cool grays and cool blues um so it turns out that ash is far too good at her job (laughs) which uh i don't know the way i read it was it speaks volumes about what the work is when this level of sadism is considered quality um and there are currently no uh, replicants to pursue and instead she's given a missing persons job to complete and that's where the story kicks in properly and like the writing is presented mostly as narration by ash talking to us talking to her dead prey in that typical noir fashion and like there's lots of really if you like this kind of thing there's lots of like deliberately overwrought ponderances on like the shitty state of the world and i i really dig that and like this first issue's got loads of beats we've come to expect from this blade runner i guess like style guide like animal motifs and fights in the rain and like uh the desire for exceptionalism the fetishization of this fleeting organic natural and the opposing sanitized mechanical and like how the rest of the world fits in between those two polar opposites and it this issue mostly plays out as a procedural, um, which I hope it doesn't continue on with in the rest of the, the series. But in this one, it's, it sort of brings us into the world and how Ash reaves her way through it to complete her job. And towards the end, reveals a quirk which prevents this clean completion of her work. And honestly, I really like this. I kind of picked it up as a curio and thinking I wouldn't like it because I've I obviously like Blade Runner. And I was very pleasantly surprised by uh, Blade Runner 2049. And I didn't think that this property could, you know, maintain that momentum, but it seems like it has. I, I you know, I'd, I'd recommend this, especially if you have an, uh, an affection for its source material. And it really helps that the art and everything is, is really good and really well laid out and really, um, like, thoughtful. And, yeah, I, I, I dig it. I'd recommend it. Yeah, sounds good. Um, it is something that I did want to check out. So yeah, what same. I... What I meant by the 2019 thing is like these um, sci-fi stories of the past Mm. setting things in the future, but the future being now. So it's 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 weird because it's definitely like it's it's not 2019, and it doesn't even feel like I don't know. It it may yeah. I kind of get what you mean. It feels like the 2019 that was. Uh, written about in the 80s yeah that's what i'm of. that's what i'm getting at yeah <laughs> yeah but like it's weird because i i like i said i kind of just ignored the year even though it does say it's set in los angeles 2019 um, yeah to me it's just you know retro cyberpunk zerust future whatever you want to call it and i kind of yeah. just let that wash over me in I'm a not, really good way like yeah i'm not saying it's a problem i'm just saying i think i <laughs> i you know i think it's kind of cool and i do like to point it out 
<laughs> I don't know why. It's weird. I kind of yeah. wish they just wouldn't give the year. Or like yeah. Blade Runner 2049 seems far enough into the future that all that kind of stuff makes sense. Whereas I think if I think about this too hard, I don't like that it's saying it's set now kind of pulls me out of it. Mm. But I, I've kind of just like the thing is, blind the, out to it. Like, I assume it's in canon with both of the movie. Yeah, that's the point, I think. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Although it doesn't, it doesn't feel that way. It feels very much like it's following on from either of the films. It doesn't like that. All both of those films, I feel, were almost in parallel. Even though you can tell, like by the fashions and whatever, and like the the quality of the replicants and all of that kind of stuff. It kind of it, there must be a time span, but it didn't. And obviously, with the actors aging in between. Um, but I don't know. Those, those both felt trapped in a bubble and i feel like this is trapped in that same bubble i don't really feel any progression of time between the films or this comic because i i asked that because in 24 to 9 there's um uh, a uh, blackout that happens in between both movies mm. and uh obviously this book is set uh around the time of the first movie isn't it mm-hmm. so like so, yeah. yeah i think um it, it, it's cool to sort of spend some time in, in that zone. But also, uh, the thing I really liked with uh, 2049 is that it it carried on the, the sort of chronology of the original Blade Runner film, which made a lot of predictions, some correct and some wrong, but they kept those wrong things where it's like this alternate universe but like uh, Pan Am, uh, Pan America Airlines are still around. Mm. Um, Atari is still like uh, uh, the the big thing it was in the eighties, and and not what it is now. And I, mm. I, I like that they carried on uh, those elements. Um, so I think it's you could do like a lot of cool things in between that space between the films. Okay, so it's not really doing anything with the like the corporate advertising, like that that kind of stuff. It doesn't have any mention or any sort of crossover here, and I guess that's just to do with like licensing issues or whatever. But there, and there is there are a couple of hints, um, which I was deliberately being vague on because I didn't want to spoil anything. But and also because based on the franchise, it's not entirely one hundred percent clear how much it is a reference or how much it is a direct connection to any one of the films, but there is a very big element of this book, which harkens back to one of the movies. And I don't want to say what, but yeah, there. Are, I think you'll be intrigued. I think you'll like how it ties back into the franchise. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Um, I just wanted to mention like, uh, previously, like previous to this episode as well, uh, I just wanted to briefly mention these two because um, Ben Kahn, the writer that we had on as a guest a few episodes ago, has sent me issues five and six of Griffin, Galaxy's Most Wanted. And I've read through them and they are both absolutely awesome. Um, did you get a chance to read those yet, Ray? Because I did forward them on. I haven't, no, but I get the feeling they'd be really like interesting bedfellows with a book like Blade Runner. Yeah. Or with the whole yeah. like... With that that sort of violence and that sort of futurism, yeah, yeah, and I do and want to. I really, really did enjoy issue uh, issue five. Issue five's got what you wanted: some more Dow Fishboy interaction. So fantastic! That's all yeah. I want. That's all yep. I want from it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want that Dow Fishboy interaction, and that's what you're going to get. So Sweet. yeah, some science stuff, science guy stuff, which is cool. Yeah, and um, sciencey, sciencey, engineering stuff. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it, it, they these issues are 
brilliant. There's some fantastic artwork. Um, there's an amazing bit where Griffin is fired out of a cannon to <laughs> onto a planet, and it, the way this is laid out on several panel panels with them like getting ready and then being fired and then getting shot into the atmosphere of this planet and it's just fantastic like the way that plays out i just love that bit that um, all sounds very like star trek 2009 that sounds great yeah it's it's mad i love it uh it's bright it's punk it's cool it's everything i've already said about this comic and uh it just continues oh and there's a bit where um griffin they as they come in and land they like punch a guy in the face <laughs> with <laughs> with with this momentum that's been built up from being fired from a cannon into the atmosphere <laughs> of a planet and there's just this brilliant like how many panels does this last one two three four five six <laughs> seven horizontal panels like nice. <laughs> at the end of issue five and it's beautiful it is glorious it is a symphony of violence and i love it uh and there's 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 some viscera and some really big onomatopoeia that takes up the entire panel and it's just gorgeous <laughs> it's, it's my thing 100 percent. very very slight aside relating to this that i wanted to ask you is um i i i'm really mindful of not appearing sycophantic um towards like ben khan's work because we've had them on as a guest yeah. And like it would, I feel like it would be wrong to like lay on any criticism quite thickly, but also to lay on any praise too thickly. But I genuinely loved Griffin. Like I was oh, almost. Yeah. <laughs> That's I what I'm great. saying. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not being a. You know, I'm. I'm not. I'm not saying this just just because we've had them on as a guest. Oh, I, know. I, I, I really enjoy their work. <laughs> I know you're not, and like I want to make it really clear to the audience. Yeah. That, like we're not just laying yeah. on thick because of that like i re- i really like griffin's one of the best things i've read in a long time like that level of like light and refreshing and quick yeah. and easy to read as well yeah i love it i'm gonna i'll if get on five you want to know more about that go go and listen to our interview um with ben uh and yeah because i sat down and had a chat with them and um we we discussed griffin um and yeah it's really cool and yeah, I've got thanks issues. for the good reminder because yeah. I needed that. And I, I just, I just needed to bring that up that I had these next two issues in line, and they're great. So yeah. Mm. Cool. Um, on from there, I believe we were going to talk about uh, Leon's comic. Yes. Well, uh, not not uh, Leon's May. comic, but Leon's pick. <laughs> if only, I'd love to be getting paid <laughs> yeah. by DC to write something, but um. Yeah, so I picked up uh, Naomi because uh, two reasons. One, I was looking at things that have slipped through the cracks this year um, and I wanted to check out something that was interesting. And two, I thought in the recent weeks, um, you, you as in Greg, have uh, spoken about uh, the Lois Lane comic and I believe the Jimmy Olsen one as well. And from what I've read and heard about those, uh, this joins that trifecta in terms of comics that give you uh, a bit more of a window into Superman 
while not actually featuring Superman uh, that much. And this one definitely sort of carries on that tradition. But like those two comics, um, it is very much um, about the protagonist and Superman's presence is more of a catalyst that gets the um, the story running. Yeah. So uh, Naomi is uh, about a girl who lives um, in Oregon uh, in a town called Port uh, Oswego, uh, which kind of seems like a Portland-esque uh, uh, analogue. And one day, um, one of the wildest things that could ever happen to a small town, uh, Superman, and uh, while fighting Mongol, both of them smash into the like, main street, have a fight for like uh, 20 seconds, and then fly off to continue the fight elsewhere. And for like a small town, this is the biggest thing that's ever happened. Um, and Naomi missed it. <laughs> so you have these uh, great um, pages at the beginning where they're like 12 panel um, and they're all sort of straight on Vox Pop style where people are talking about their reactions. And a lot of what they're saying isn't really coherent because you're getting bits and bobs like, oh, it's so amazing. And then this happens. Like, oh, I managed to capture five seconds of it. And all these things like, oh, I um, I missed it as well. Or I was I was blah, blah, blah. I can't believe I missed the one important thing to happen in town. Um, and so that starts to uh, consume Naomi's mind because she's like, Stuff like this never happens. Uh, and then, uh, like, the day after, she gets a message from uh, one of her friends. And, like, he's back. He's back. He's back. So she, uh, and at the, at the time, she's in a, um, a session with a therapist. Um, and what we learn with there, this is all early on stuff, is that she, um, there's a thing called, uh, I believe it's Superman Syndrome or Superman complex. But what it is, is that people who are orphans often get obsessed with uh, Superman because he's the world's most famous orphan, but also he's like, uh, he's the orphan hero because he's special uh, and he changes the world. And so he gets looked up to by, uh, by a lot of people who are in a similar position in the same way that um, uh, Batman um often gets uh, uh, kids uh, looking up to him. Only when they know he's Batman. <laughs> I think Batman <laughs> looks up to Superman. I think Batman has orphan syndrome. <laughs> yeah. But like, um, what happens is that uh, Superman's just there to uh, fix some of the damage um, that he caused, uh, which is a nice touch because you have Captain Gun. He's not that cool. Like, why didn't he come and fix up the, the damage that he made? Si- <laughs> side, very... note. side note though, Leon. Um don't tell Batman I said that Batman looks up to Superman because then I really would be in trouble. Well, he already knows it. Like, yeah, he's he's, he's listening on the back computer right yeah. now. <laughs> so, I mean, I can't help you. I'm not. I, Batman. If Batman asks me uh, to confirm what you said. I'm telling. I'm telling. <laughs> well, yeah, you be comes into your house, grabs you by the throat, and stuffs you against the wall. What a quick say. Yeah, I'll give him the audio. Like, yeah. I'm telling him. <laughs> Even if I didn't hear it properly, I'm confirming what he thinks that you said. So. Yeah. Like, I'm not getting in the way of that. He's scary, but, man. But, like, um, so Superman comes and, uh, he, like, helps clean up and flies off. And it's it's really 
cool set of panels because you don't see Superman's face properly. Uh, instead, you see him uh, as people on the ground would see him, with, with like uh, and the sun obscuring his face a bit, and it, it's all very mythic. Um, and how a seventeen-year-old would uh, look up uh, to uh, this larger-than-life person. But what happens is that it sets off a chain of events because there's like rumors going around through the town that uh, that wasn't the first time something supernatural or superhero level happened in the town like two decades before something happened um and that sets naomi down a path where she gets obsessed and starts uh researching as far as she can because she notices that there's not much news about the superman coming and she thinks that's really weird um and wonders what else slips under the cracks so you've got that going on and it, it sets off um an okay type mystery to begin with where like um you're at the beginning you're sort of wondering like what was the thing in the town and i think i was carried along because uh i think uh so the, the books written by uh Brian Michael Bendis and uh David F Walker and i think they're they're good at pulling you along cuz you, you definitely get drip fed at the beginning <laughs> Uh, and but the the key thing is the art by uh, Jamal Campbell is is like really good. Like the character design is uh, pretty really awesome. Like um, Naomi is an African American girl. Uh, she's adopted. She lives with white parents, and she's got like really cool braids. Um, and they and it's just design just she looks so contemporary, but like um, just so. Um, uh, emotive is a bad word, but uh, she's she seems uh, like she has so many different elements and sides and different facial expressions and body language. It's it's really um, what what it's really good uh, for making you empathize with her and for like pulling you in and drawing you in. So you do stick with it because, like I said, that main mystery. I was like, yeah, okay, we'll see what's going on there. I was only gonna read this first issue to talk about it, but then. I wanted to know because they end it in a sort of cliffhangery way, and I wanted to know what the hell was going on. So I read the second uh, issue. Uh, I, I bought and read the second issue, and then uh, so it, it sort of it, it it continues pulling you along. And then what happens during that issue? I'm not going to do any story spoilers, but like, is that the questions about what happened in the town sort of open up a wider story, and then. Uh, you get into a mystery that connects what's going on with the town and uh, has uh, really good like wrong footing in the story where the character Naomi is saying stuff that you would say because you've seen it before and you're like, oh, I see this, blah, blah, blah. Like, da, da, da. she's from Krypton as well. I'll say that because that definitely is not the thing that happens. And it's like, oh, she's an alien or whatever. Da, 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 da. And, uh, the character will say that, and, and then no, the mystery is way different than you think it is. It's like pat on the head. It's like, oh, you thought it was this? No, it's this. So I knowingly bought the third issue, <laughs> and it's like it's doing my head. I would have read. I think there's six out at the moment. I would have read them all if I had had the time, and I'll probably after this will read read the rest, which really annoys me because I don't want to keep up to date. <laughs> 
of a contemporary uh, superhero comic. But it's not really a superhero comic. But uh, I hope it's a limited run because it's funny. They got me with a really like, meh, this, this is whatever. Find out what's going on in this town that I don't really care about. And now it's like, oh, what's going on with all these characters? And like, why is everyone so shady? And are, are, are these people who they say they are? And blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's just pulling you in, like you're getting deeper in the web. And it's, it, it, it worked on me. It definitely worked on me. And um, it made me think, because this is one of um, the Wonder Comics imprint, uh, which is like Brian Michael Bendis world, kind of, uh, in, in, in terms of DC. Um, I believe it's all focused on young heroes. So it's uh, Young Justice, Wonder Twins, Naomi, and Dial H for Hero. And... Uh, if uh, they're, they're doing like uh, smart things with those books as they are doing with this, then it, it, I, I would be uh, tempted to to take a peek because yeah, it's a very like initially simple premise, and it does get like wild, but not it doesn't like kick me out of the wildness. Instead, it draws me in more, and it's like uh, this that's that's annoying. <laughs> I want to. I want to like keep up with this, but um, like beyond beyond that, uh, um, also does really well is its use of not really splash pages, more like widescreen panels. Is how I'm going to put it, because there's a lot of um, panels that uh, work uh, like uh, horizontally. Um, and not just in that sort of way where it's like, okay, this is like an impact page or something like that, but it's usually done quite artfully to pull together a lot of different elements and like the panel construction really feeds into, uh, it being like a wide, uh, wide panel. I read it digitally, so I don't know exactly where the seams were or if, of, or if how it's presented physically, but it, I found it to be uh, like really effective, um, and it made cer- certain moments really stand out. Um, and um, like, there's a scene, uh, scene. There's a page uh, really early on in issue one, which depicts um, Superman and Mongol entering the town, and it's done really. It's done in a really cool way, where you have that widescreen panel. Uh, and it's it's the typical thing you see a lot where it's one image, but the characters are moving around in the image to show like the different state different steps they went through. But just a simple inclusion of like two white lines sort of splitting it into three panels, but not really. It 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 reads really uh, really dynamically, um, and it's um, it just makes it it all feeds in to. Um, it pulling you on and working the trick that it worked on me. So, um, yeah, it's, it's quite nice to, uh, have like focus on a character who is adjacent to the superhero stuff, but be like a, a person on the ground. And like I said, this isn't new stuff and loads of comics have been doing it forever. Um, but like, isn't it like, is it GCPD and Gotham Knights or whatever, which are yeah. like Batman books that feature no Batman. That's GCPD comic. Yeah, um, that's it. Um, and like, it, I think it. Oh, wait, I read like I think 
two trades off of GCPD back in the day, and um, I, I really like the um, the, the feel and the concept of it because uh, I think that is such an applicable uh, scenario to do with with uh, this, and it, it it allows you or like it facilitates spending time with humans in a world with metahumans and like gods, basically. Because a lot of the time we never really, apart from being vehicles to be saved, uh, we never really, not never really, but we we seldom spend time with normies on the ground getting getting booked up into these um, uh, these big uh, or being on the sidelines of these big like universe altering events. And I think it's really good to do that because I. You get to have your cake and eat it by having like cool mind bendy sci fi superhero stuff, but you also get to spend time uh, with these these people and uh, get in their head a bit. I mean, this character literally has a therapist, which facilitates them being able to speak out their feelings. So uh, I guess it's a little bit of a cheat, but it's really cool. And um, already, I'm like. Uh, Invested in just finding out what the hell is uh, the deal with all of this. But uh, yeah, I I would recommend it. I think there are seven issues or something. I I think the first issue came out in January and there was a gap between the next coming out. Um, But yeah, that is uh, Naomi on DC's Wonder Comics. It's uh, written by Brian McBendis and David F. Walker. Uh, the art, including the cover, uh, is done by Jamal Campbell. The letterer was uh, Wes Abbott. Um, and uh, yeah, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Like, how did that slip past us the first time, man? <laughs> I don't think it did. We actually talked about um, the preview for this. I, I distinctly remember talking about that scene in the city where, oh, yeah. uh, where Superman and Mongol are fighting. It just wasn't out at the time, and then, yeah, it definitely slipped through our net when it came out, but we definitely mm. talked about the preview. Yeah. Um, moving on from there, actually going to finish off with uh, Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. Um, so, Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, number one. So, they've relaunched it, and it's going to be a 12-part series, and uh, it is written by Matt Fraction. Um, and it is great. <laughs> So uh, we'll get you the full list of comics for the uh, full list of um, credits for this comic first of all, and get my words out correctly. So this is Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, uh, which according to the comic DC Comics Super Duper proudly presents. Uh, it is written by Matt Fraction. Uh, Steve Lieber is the artist. Uh, Nathan Fairburn on colors. Clayton Cowles letters. Um, the color is uh, cover is by Lieber and Fairburn, and Ben Oliver did a variant cover for it. And yeah, it's just oh, it's gorgeous, man. Like the artwork in here is fantastic. Like there's some some really really cool scenes, uh, some great action scenes. Like the character design in here is great. The colors just just leaps off the page. It just pops with these like uh, dark lines and bright colors and. It's just very, very, very jovial. It has this very, very kind of like comedic tone throughout the whole thing, even though there's a darker something underlying it all that I haven't quite gotten to yet in reading this comic at least twice. Um, Something's going on, and 
over the next 12 issues, I will be able to piece that together. And it's something that goes back to the, well, seemingly goes back to the founding of Metropolis. Because, um, so Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen focuses on Jimmy Olsen, who is a, um, he's kind of like, he works for the Daily Planet. And uh, the, the classic formula is he'll get himself into a spot of bother um, but he'll have spectacular adventures and Superman will turn up and bail him out or Superman will turn up and, and help him or get involved and help him uncover something or come to the bo- get to the bottom of something or save his life. Um, and the classic formula is like almost like an anthology where they used to, in like the, the early days of the Jimmy Olsen book, they used to have two or three, like three stories per book. So it'd be like three Jimmy Olsen, separate Jimmy Olsen stories. Uh, three short stories per comic. Now this is set up like an anthology, except the stories are interlinked. And um, the first story we get is uh, Joaquin Olsen in It's the Falls That Will Kill You, <laughs> which is about the founding of Metropolis and um, how Joaquin Olsen tried to stake his claim to some land and then was killed. Um, and uh, this all seems to be something um, that then leads into the next part, which is... Uh, Jimmy Olsen doing a dive from space as part of some kind of experiment that Metamorphose involved in and he transforms into some giant turtle meteor thing halfway down which is another hallmark of Jimmy Olsen comics that they worked in a transformation Um, because Jimmy Olsen usually you know like sometimes he gets a power or he transforms or something like that and Superman has to stop this thing from doing damage Um, but he destroys a statue the monarch of um the monarch of metropolis which is something that um lex luther had just spent an awful lot of money on rebuilding or something like that and uh after that the next little part is jimmy olsen as a liability and getting sent to live elsewhere um by the newspaper by by the daily planet uh, daily planet yeah because they um they just don't want him like around anymore kind of thing. <laughs> but I mean, they want to keep him on the daily planet payroll because he brings in readers with his, like his stories. But in fact, he's the only thing that makes money for them. But at the same time, he's a liability because he, you know, like it costs so much to insure the guy. So, <laughs> um, they send him to live elsewhere. And, um, by the looks of things, he ends up in Gotham and that's where the book ends. And it starts to take a slightly darker turn. But um, yeah, it's just this this kind of like bounce from short story to short story, but they're all interconnected and it all kind of... There's something going on here that goes back to the founding of Metropolis uh, and it's to do with Jimmy Olsen and I think it has a little bit to do with Lex Luthor as well. And I haven't quite worked out what the whole thing, like what it's all getting at, but it's you know, like quite yet. And I mean, it's all going to come together in later issues, but it's hilarious. It's really well put together. The action scenes are fantastic. There's some really good dynamic artwork in here. Um, it's colourful. It's punchy. 
it's just a really good bit of just like pure comics and it, it is in in the true spirit of like what i understand jimmy olsen comics to be from you know having read some jimmy olsen stuff way back when i mean like my experience with jimmy olsen is with the jack kirby new gods stuff because the new gods were born from the jimmy olsen books so jack kirby went to dc in 1970 i believe and he got he 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 wanted to be put on the jimmy olsen book um and that like through the jimmy olsen book is where we got things like the fourth world the new gods all that stuff um and that that's where all of that kind of started and the newsboy legion actually brought those back as well through the jimmy olsen's book and it's just it's just that kind of like um that classic comic booky type feel you know that classic comic uh wackiness about it and it's just great for that and i i fully recommend it actually because i i actually think it's really funny and it's a really good bit of a ga- escapism and it's just really punchy and bright and good. I mean, I know there's something sinister going on underneath it all, but at the same time, it's still kind of funny. It's hilarious. And I think that's Matt Fraction's influence as well. Because um, from what I understand about Matt Fraction, he's like, he's he's good at comedy, right? He's got a good head for comedy. Would you agree, Ray? Yeah, for sure. Like, he's one of the funniest, funniest dudes in comics of like from exactly. uh, Sex Criminals and that Spider-Man run that he did. Yeah, he's great. And uh Jim this Jimmy Olsen run is like testament to that, I'm sure. Um yeah, it's just it's just comedic fun content and it's great. And these escapades with Jimmy Olsen and how he's a liability because he has to be rescued by Superman so often and does so much damage, but at the same time, his stories are the only thing keeping the Daily Planet alive. <laughs> Which is really cool, yeah. I like it. Um yeah, and that that is the end. That that is the end of my list, and I think that's the end of it. Like close out on Jimmy Olsen. So, has anyone got anything else they'd like to mention quickly? Is everybody done? Oh yeah, no, I'm, I've I've said my piece. Leon, you done? I guess I so. am. I guess so. Um, so I just quickly mentioned very briefly that I read Archie versus Predator number one, and that is a a good fun bit of self aware Archie horror type stuff, Archie comics. It's very self-aware, it's very meta, and it's fun. Um, and if you want, you know, you want to have a laugh, pick that up. And off the back of that, I, because I was like doing some Googling and some some digging, and I, I found out that they did an Archie versus Sharknado, uh, which was just a one-shot comic, but I'm going to have to track that down, <laughs> because that sounds brilliant. Um like with these Archie crossover books that I'm, I'm, I seem to be kind of like saddling myself with at the moment. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's it was great fun. Um, uh, also picked up the history of the Marvel Universe, which was a really well put together look at the Marvel, um, Marvel prehistory, the beginnings of the Marvel Universe, and onwards. And it's quite interesting to see it all laid out in one timeline. And it's just basically a bunch of fantastic art, um, washing through the book as we sort of like go from point to point across the entire Marvel timeline as narrated by Galactus at the end of time. So the comic starts at the end of time and this is going to take us all the way up to the end of time over its tenure, this comic. And uh, Galactus is going to narrate the lot. And it's really interesting and really cool because it's like right up Greg's Cosmic Comic Alley. It's that kind of stuff I like. So yeah. 
get me some of that and it's worth reading. Um, so I guess we shall move on to the um, question which I came up with and uh, I was going to ask Ray and Leon to answer this one. Uh, Leon, did you come up with any answers to it? So what I asked you to do was come up with a two-sentence horror story centred around comics or it had to be comics adjacent? Yes. Yes, okay. And Ray, did you come up with anything? I came up with one that might have already been foreshadowed by Leon's commentary on Naomi and how he was like tortured into buying the, the follow-ups to that first issue. So yeah, I wrote one. <laughs> tortured? Really? Um... Sounded like it. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so who wants to go first? And then I'll be the judge of who wrote the best one. I mean, I I sort of didn't hew that close to two sentences, but I can run with the one about Leon if you want. Yeah, so go, I, go I, with I the one down, about Leon. Yep. So like, Leon, the oath-breaker, the disgrace, the heretic, the sole exile from the trade paperback clan, runs his fingers up and down the thin, staple spine of a single issue, the first issue of a new run. I couldn't resist. I just couldn't resist. Look at this cover. Look at the neon blue and pink hues. It'll be worth it. It'll be gratifying. It has to be. It's only a limited run. It's only six. It's only six-ish. He stops mid-sentence, noticing a subtle embossed statement at the foot of the cover. Part of a new, exciting, multi-threaded, decade-spanning crossover event. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, that's not horror for me. That's like something, that's that's like my life. But I mean, it's, per, it's, person, it's a personal horror. How does that yeah. make you feel, Leon? That's Leon's personal horror. Leon? I'm not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> so, Leon, have you got one? Uh, yes, though I haven't uh, written it down, but uh, mine goes, as you sit in your seat, ready to watch your favourite comic book be adapted into a film, finally, you lean back, the whole screen is empty, you sigh a sign of, uh, like a sigh of relief, the screen comes on, the words directed by Zack Snyder come on the screen. <laughs> Can I, can I read mine next? Because that's that's way. That's not. Point. That's just truth. <laughs> we're we're just out to that hurt Greg now. <laughs> that has happened. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The reason I love this is because mine is basically the same thing that I wrote about you, Greg. Yeah. So part of an extremely limited group of people to see an early preview of the secretive new TMNT slash Ghostbusters slash Usagi Yojimbo live action movie, Greg settles into his seat. He daydreams of how he'll be the first to confirm to the world that, as everyone suspected, Stan Sakai himself was responsible for the movie. But his reverie was broken by the words appearing on screen. Strap in. You're about to experience the ultimate Michael Bay set piece. As the megaton bomb hidden beneath him rends the theatre apart, Greg's scream contributes nothing to the cacophony of bizarre and painful nonsense unfolding around him. (laughs) That's got to win. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. And, And for the sake of fairness, I wrote a short one for myself. Rahul opens a beautiful, cute, pastel-hued cover to reveal a title page stating, lengthy and necessary written word prologue. (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i mean like who shall i say i mean i don't know who the winner is there they're all good i think i think that rahul greg one win you think you think that one's the winner the michael bay one yeah that for me that is the most horrifying that is my personal hell (laughs) but the one that i the one that i enjoyed the most the one that i thought was 
probably the most um like the one that i like the most was the one about leon buying single issues (laughs) (laughs) only because only because it seems to have come true twice this week (laughs) <laughs> with uh, between Naomi and House yeah, of M. I mean, I mean, Leon's Leon's Zack Snyder one. That's that's just something that's actually happened. It is helpful. Um, yeah, and and the no, Michael Bay no, the no, Michael no, Bay no. the Michael Bay ones happened as well because because <laughs> I went to watch Transformers at the cinema. I mean, that was cherry picked to like prey on your your fears. So um... yeah. I mean, like, um, let let me have a go at this actually because I think I've got one. So um, you get to your local comic shop on ncbd eager to check out a new series that you've been looking forward to you've been uh, you've been keeping an eye on this you've been reading previews you don't know an awful lot about it in fact the cover hadn't even been announced yet all you know is that it is so real and you just you just know that it revels in realism and it is a visceral visceral story you run in and you grab the sealed copy from the uh, from the shelf and take it up to the counter to pay for it with your other pile of comics. Uh, the book itself is sealed. It's in a, in a black plastic. You can't see the cover. You can't see what's inside. You just know that you want it um, because it's this new series that's been teased. That's that's gone viral. Like everybody's been talking about it. You uh, you get to your local comic shop and you peel open the uh, the black plastic, and uh, the cover of the comic is blank and white. And you turn to the next page. And on the next page, you see yourself getting into the shower in the morning. And it details panel by panel, you getting ready. In in great realism. And and these are things that have happened just this day. This is like, but this was this morning. What What's going on? So you start flipping through the comic even more. And it leads up to your journey to the comic shop. You buying the comic. You sitting down in the coffee shop. And you get to the final page. And the final page is from kind of like third or fourth person perspective. Someone standing behind somebody else. And you see a guy. uh, The coffee shop is now empty. And you see a guy with a hatchet standing behind you. And you look up. And there's a dude with a hatchet in your face. Ready to take your face. The scariest part about that (laughs) is having to see myself get into a shower. I don't want to see that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that's not a two sentence horror story, Craig. That's like the seed of a really good idea that you should turn in into a comic. I was going to say, what are these runoff sentences? I thought Rahul's about that. <laughs> I know, I know, that wasn't two sentences. That breaks the rules. But I just like because I hadn't come up with anything prior to the show. I just wanted to have a go at that now. But yeah, I mean, because my whole thing was I was going to judge the winner, and I picked a winner. Like Rahul's story about Leon ones for me. Here's a good premise. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Rahul takes that competition. I think that's Rahul's. Score. So you can pat yourself on the back and you get like an AC point. Um, <laughs> a meaningless, Yay. meaningless trinket. Uh, so yeah, let's move on to the pull list. Um, so I've, uh, this is my picks for, um, the 31st of the 7th, which is this NCBD, which is when this podcast goes live, which incidentally happens to be my birthday. Um, so the things that I've picked here, we've got Death's Head number one, which is the revival of a Marvel character that had its beginnings in the G1 Transformers comics. And, um, I'm going to read you the blurb 
for this now. So Death's Head number one. Uh, Rising Stars, Teeny Howard, uh, who has been working on the Thanos book, which is really good. And uh, Kay Zama take on Marvel UK's hottest character, Death's Head, in a new miniseries. When a job goes wrong, intergalactic mech merc, Death's Head, wakes up half-assembled at a punk show. And if the crowd full of deodorant-eschewing youths wasn't enough, the young Avengers show up. Well, half of them anyway. Hulkling and Wiccan face down the best freelance peacekeeping agent in the universe. So, uh, does that sound that sound like something I'd enjoy? I, I think that sounds like something I'd enjoy. <laughs> yeah, that's right up your alley. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, Tinny Howard uh, writing uh, K-Zama artist uh, Philippe Sobriero on colours, uh, Nick Rosh as a cover artist, um, and yeah, it just it just sounds cool. And um, like my experience with Death has said uh, as a character goes back to the fact that I had this old... Uh, marvel transformers annual like years and years ago as a kid um and i used to read it like a lot um and it had death's head in it like as a character he just appeared in there in one of the stories that were printed in this annual um it was like one of those old hardback annuals that you used to be able to get i think you still can get get them but I, i don't see them that often anymore it's the kind of thing you usually see around christmas um but yeah i was really into it it was cool uh, you spell to like write your name in the front of them and things, um, and uh, <clears throat> the uh, next one on my list was something called Man of Black, which is on um, uh, Dark Horse Comics. I will get the words out, um, and that one is by the uh, the creator of um, Harrow County. Uh, it's got Cullen Bunn on it, so that's that's my draw because it's you know it's associated with the guy that wrote Harrow County, which is enough for me. So from the creators of Harrow County and the Sixth Gun comes this gothic horror fantasy about a family of sorcerers in crisis. Roman Black is the moribund patriarch of a family of powerful sorcerers, as his wicked and corrupt children fight over who will take the reins of Manor Black and become representative of the Black Arts. Roman adopts a young mage whom he gifts his powers to with the hope that someone good will take his place against the evil forces out to bring down his family and legacy. Uh, And that is written by Brian Hurt and Cullen Bunn. And we've got Tyler Crook doing the art. And uh, yeah, that's Tyler Crook and Cullen Bunn. So that's the Harrow County guys. Um, So I am like fully invested in that. Like I want to read that because that sounds really cool. Uh, and following from, from that, we've got Powers of X, number one, which we've talked about already. That's going to be the thing that intertwines with House of X. Um, and that is going to be really cool. Uh, that's like sort of like the next part of this uh, this new X-Men Genesis that we've talked about on the show. Uh, and uh, also Ice Cream Man, number 13, which I think I was excited for... Um, when I, I read the title of it in the back of the previous Ice Cream Man comic, it's called uh, Palindromes. So it's a new story arc, and uh, the title is Palindromes. And the only part, the only thing on the blurb is, what if you could have it both ways? And, like, that, like, I, I'm, I'm hoping, like, for, I, I, I have, um, I have this theory that they're going to do something real interesting that you can read the comic from both directions. Yeah, I like when they did this called um, 
concept stuff like with the the Neapolitan one. Yeah. They, they have good ideas with that. Yeah, so I'm hoping they go down that route and they do some cool concept thing with it where you can read it from two different directions. Because the the, the cover that I'm looking at has um, the ice cream man himself standing there holding an arrow pointing to like the where you would open the page if you were to open it the usual way from right to left. Um, and I'm hoping that you can turn it over and it goes the other way because the... Um, when I looked at the preview for it, I think in the back of Ice Cream Man 12, it had the it had the art from two different directions. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited for this. I'm always excited for new Ice Cream Man, but I'm especially excited for this. And uh, Ray, where are you for the 31st? Uh, I've only got a couple of picks, but one really big one is Paper Girls number 30, oh, yeah, which will be a yeah double size final issue. Uh, so it'll be high time for me to actually catch up on, I think, the dozen, maybe two dozen uh, issues that I've that I've not read up on and catch up in time for this. And the, the cover for this looks lovely with, like, yellow background and pink-hued girls on their bicycle. It's, it's very cool. I think I'll be picking this up on paper, which I haven't done Brian, for a while for paper. Girls. Brian K. Vaughan is shaking his damn head. <laughs> How did you get I mean, so I bought, behind? I bought every single one digitally. I just haven't got round to them. Um, and then, as you pointed out, Ice Cream Man, and there's also Life is Strange number seven, and mm. Test number two is coming out on July 31st. Oh, yes, and... yes, Test number two. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. I did I did have that, like, yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. But yeah, Test number two is out as well, which is going to be cool. Mm. Uh, we actually reviewed, we got a preview of Test number one um, at the... Uh, the um, a couple of episodes ago so uh, you should check that out but yeah test number two will be good um i just wanted to point out as well that uh while we're doing like release schedule stuff um because we talked about chapters five and six of griffin so chapter five came out on the uh, july 17th and chapter six is out on august 7th so that'll be the following week's comics, which are what I'm about to start talking about now. So uh, for August 7th, I've got Lois Lane number two, House of X number two, which is, again, the continuation of the New Mutant Genesis, the new X-Men stuff. Uh, Lois Lane number two, following on from Lois Lane number one, which I uh, talked about on the previous episode, which is like this really good kind of detective tale. Um, and um, this other thing that I looked at called Coffin Bound number one, which is an image book. Um, the blurb for this cars, guns and entropy chased by an unstoppable killer. Izzy Tyburn has decided that if the world won't have her in it, it can have nothing of her at all. She's retreading her life, leaving nothing but burned rubber, ash and the sun scorched bones of those who get in her way. Join writer Dan Waters and color uh, artist Danny and colorist Brad Simpson on a road trip through a blood spattered life. And it's just, yeah, it just sounds like a really cool kind of like um, assassin story slash uh, like kind of like um, Bonnie and like, you know, like just just live dangerously type thing, which I'm kind of I'm kind of interested in. Um, The cover grabs me because it's the. who, what I assume is the main character, Izzy Tyburn, sitting with her back, leaning against the car with a cigarette and a bunch of bones underneath it. She's got a gun in her hand. Um, the uh, 
the title itself, Coffin Bound, is text squished into the shape of a coffin. Um, and it just it just sounds really cool, like just this kind of like um, road trip to hell type thing. And I'm all for it. It looks really cool as well. Um, and Ray, where are you for the uh, 8th, uh, 7th of August even? Sorry. Yeah, I've only got two for that week. Um, Giant Days number 53, which I believe is going to be the end of an arc. And then Die, uh, as in D-I-E, the one by Kieran Gillen, at number six, which is the start of a new arc. Yeah, so um, that's it. That is the end of the pull list. And that has been Ace Comicals number 68. So you can find us at www.acecomicals.com where you can find links to all our various social media and uh, places that you can listen to us. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Castro, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Spotify, Stitcher and TuneIn. Uh, we are on Twitter under Ace Comicals. We're on the Facebook under ace comicals you can find us on instagram under ace comicals you can find me on twitter under at bato that's b-a-t-t-o-u if you wish to ask us a question or um you know get involved in the conversation you can dm us on twitter you can at us on twitter talk about comics that you like ask us about comics you know things that you might want us to read for the show um or you can get in you can get in touch via the email address which is acecomicals at gmail.com uh ray where can we find you on twitter at monke so that's at m-o-o-n-k-e-h and leon where can we find you you can find me on twitter at leon everett so that has been ace comicals number 68 uh that is ace comicals over and out